The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey friends, my name's Olivia Perez and I'm an entrepreneur, journalist, and the host of the Friend of a Friend podcast. Every Monday, I meet with some of today's youngest and brightest entrepreneurs to make space to tell their stories and shine a light on who I believe to be the next generation of luminaries. I'll interview up-and-comers and game changers from brand builders to personalities, activists, artists, and thought leaders from around the world. Each episode lets you be a fly on the wall during one of the greatest pep talks, like a conversation between you and a friend or a friend of a friend. See you there. Hey, bestie, it's Cami Crawford. Relationships are hard, and that's why I'm here. Think of me as your big sister slash audible BFF that you can always trust to give you the real tea. This is my show, Relationship, the advice podcast that covers all relationship topics, the good, the bad, and the straight up shitty. Need advice? Send your story to hello at relationshippod.com or DM me at relationship on IG and tune in every Friday for new episodes. Be sure to follow us and subscribe so you don't miss all the hot goss. And if you're loving the show, please leave us a review. Talk soon, bestie. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. It's your girl, Cami Crawford. And today we have licensed marriage and family therapist, Vanessa B. Tate on the podcast. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cami. I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad you're here. Now, you guys don't know this, but Vanessa and I go way back. <laughs> go way back to the playground. No, I'm just kidding. Well, kind of, kind of that. When I was in my last relationship, which obviously mm-hmm. the the listeners know ended, I hit you up about couples therapy because right. uh, we were, I mean, on the fritz would be a nice way to put it. But mm-hmm. I was still looking to try to fix things or like find some kind of common ground, some kind of understanding. And it wasn't happening with just conversations one-on-one and, you know, every conversation became so emotional and like verbally volatile. It just, it got to be too much. So finally I told my therapist, Kelly, who the listeners also know about Vanessa, I just want you to know the listeners know my whole life at this point. There's no no secrets. There's no secrets. Mm -hmm. We talk about everything, but I asked my therapist, like, do you have any recommendations? And she recommended you. And that's how we got connected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here seven, we are. Seven degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But I will tell you that if we were going to go with a couple of therapists before things abruptly ended, you were absolutely the one that I was like, we have to go to Vanessa. Because wow, of thank yes. you. Well, it's because of your, I guess you would say, technique Mm -hmm. of how you go about couples therapy? Because it's not like the traditional sense of couples therapy. Can you tell people about it? Well, I'm curious first, what stood out to you? Do you, if you remember, I remember, I remember the fact that it was more in depth than like just sitting down and having a therapist. That's kind of like the vocal liaison between the two feuding parties. Like it was like, there's an actual strategy here. Like, let's get down to what are the biggest differences between the two of you fundamentally, Mm -hmm. like as people on your own. Mm -hmm. And then we'll dive into how that plays a role in your relationship or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So as a couples therapist, when I work with couples, my approach is a little bit eclectic. I don't follow just one, one, theorists are one way of doing it. I'm largely intuitive. 
And I have a whole lot of education and tools and training in my back pocket. And I really listen and attune to and track what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. And I get down to business fast. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm pretty direct. I don't mince words. I offer feedback. I challenge people. And in most relationships, it's not just treating the couple dynamic, but we also have to understand where each individual comes from. Because mm-hmm. where each individual comes from in their childhood largely impacts how they show up as adults, especially in love. All the good shit comes out in romance and some does in friendship, but nothing like romance to drag all the residue out from our unresolved childhood wounds typically then get played out in our adult relationships. Yes, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, you obviously have your childhood traumas and the things that come with that and how you were raised, but then you grow up and you start to date people and then you develop all these other traumas. How often would you say that your clients are dealing with baggage from their past versus baggage from their upbringing? Well, what happens is if experiences from childhood never got repaired, resolved, never got the attention they needed, those experiences are still sitting there. So that then when something happened to you at seven, never got resolved, something that happens to you at 25 is going to be all the more compounded by what wasn't cured, resolved, healed at age seven. So unresolved traumas just continue to kind of compound on to each other. So that when you feel like, you know, you're talking to somebody who's 25 and their anger seems incongruent to the situation, that is often because something younger in their life experience has also not been resolved. Yeah. It's like the inner child screaming out. Sure. (laughs) Or lashing out in certain ways. And it's unavoidable. Like Mm -hmm. there's, everyone has it. Like even if you had quote unquote, a perfect childhood, When you get to be in relationships, the way that you see your mom or the way that you saw your dad or the way that you saw your siblings or what have you, all of that plays a role. Yeah, for sure. And very few people have perfect childhoods. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's all in gradations. And of course, in my therapy, I'm trying, for me, it pretty much all does come down to childhood. And I'm never trying to blame parents because we all know parents do the best they can with what they knew and they also didn't have perfect childhoods Mm -hmm. so just kind of like unresolved dysfunction keeps getting passed down until somebody slows down and wakes up and tries to make a better conscious choice and set a new pattern and like relational trauma is healed relationally so In some ways, it's great if you can partner up with somebody that had less shitty childhood stuff than you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then that can become kind of a, you know, a dependent sort of situation. So there's the right mix in there of something. Mm, Yeah. Because even in those situations, it's like you don't want to burden someone else with things that you've been dealing with. But at the same time, if we have two feuding people that have been through a lot of shit. Yeah you may not get to the resolve that you're looking right. for. Yeah, there's that you know term I hear more and more called trauma bonding. One of my favorite quotes ever, and I, I don't know who it was by, is we tend to attract a partner whose teeth match our wound. Mm. 
that just gave me a chill. Yeah. All day long. I feel about that. Over and over. Yeah. To some degree, we will attract a partner whose teeth matches our wound. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, what, can you attract a partner whose Band-Aid matches the wound? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, here's the thing. That doesn't have to mean, oh, my God, gloom, doom. They should, you know, separate, break up. What it can mean is when I'm with this person, I feel something familiar, a familiar sort of dynamic. And I start to feel crazy and dysregulated when with this person. Ah, okay. Starting to realize it reminds me of something from mm. mom, dad, or whatever parental figure. However, if I'm this conscious, mindful adult now, and so is my partner, I can start to learn to formulate a different response instead of just a knee-jerk reaction. Mm. The best case scenario, it's like, okay, familiar place, but I can start to make more conscious choices of how I engage with something familiar. And in those ways, it can be really healing. But if the two adults in the partnership are not consciously awake enough and have a certain amount of self-awareness, then no, it's probably not going to work out. It's going to be like, you know, hitting your head against a brick wall over and over. Mm. And you as the the receiving partner have to, I guess, know how to not just react to every single trigger and not think that every single trigger is an exact direct relation to what you've dealt with before. That's it's hard. I'm learning that now in a new Mm -hmm. relationship, how Mm -hmm. to, you know, that like, this is not that these are not the same. These people, people just in general that I've had in my life exist in completely different spaces. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I am now allowing them into mine or no longer allow certain ones into mine, but it doesn't mean it's the same, even though immediately sometimes get, hear something or feel something and you're like, oh, like, you know, but there, that all comes from yeah the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, something we need to look at when we are getting very reactive to our partner is they are not our father. They are not our mother. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Am I the same now at this age compared to when I was seven? Oh, shit. Maybe it's me. Mm. You know, like, and I need to yeah. look at my reaction right now versus, you know, accusing my partner of doing this or that. Yes. I mean, one of the best gifts we can give to each other as partners is self-awareness. If I can know myself so well that I know what are my insecurities, what are my triggers to my best ability, my blind spots, that is the greatest gift I can do to my partner. And then like the second greatest gift is understanding their core wounds and where they come from and being very curious about that and compassionate about it. Yeah. Versus shaming or blaming about it. Yes. What would you say are some similar or common threads that you see in your line of work with couples? Like what's the top reason why people come to you for therapy? Uh, God, all day long. Distancer, pursuer, or in some other languages, we would say somebody that's attachment style is insecure, anxious, mm. and another person who is insecure, avoidant. So they get into push-pull dynamics. There's a typically a lot of blaming and accusatory language that goes on. Mm. And so often couples show up my show up at my office when it's too late. Like they should have been in couples therapy two years ago. Mm. And they're now, you know, five years in debating about whether to get engaged. 
Mm. And I think there's still a little bit of taboo in dating world that you're not even married yet. Why would you go to couples therapy? Mm -hmm. People say that a lot. Right. In my opinion, it's like, why not? Yeah. Like whether we stay together or not, I want to be the best version of myself possible. Yeah. So I'm either going to learn these things with you or I'm going to learn them with someone else. So why not start now? Right. Because we bring ourselves wherever we go. Mm -hmm. You know, people say, oh, I feel so much different with this partner. Yeah. Well, talk to me again after a year and a half. Right. You know, like your same shit to some degree is gonna start to show up no matter who you're with. It might be ever so slightly different, but it's kind of like, you know, those geographical, geographical fixes, wherever you're, wherever you move, there you are. Right. We bring certain aspects of ourselves, no matter who we're partnered with. Yes. Yes. No, it's so true. I mean, it's almost like starting couples therapy after you've already gotten married, when you know that the same issues were popping up when you were dating is exactly getting the flu shot after you, you currently have the flu. Right. Yes. I'm (laughs) such a big fan of, you know, we don't even have to use the word marriage, but premarital or pre-commitment or pre-moving in therapy, definitely pre-having kids therapy. I think the world, our country would be a better place if we had more of it. I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. I feel like the common, you know, thing that you see is like, especially if you're religious, like people go to the church once they've gotten engaged to have the premarital counseling or they seek out a therapist for premarital, Mm -hmm. I guess, counseling therapy, whatever it may be. But I'm trying to be right and straight before we even get there. Exactly. Good (laughs) idea. And and so many of those, this is probably going to sound judgmental, so many of those counseling offerings done through organized religion are very superficial. Yes. You know, they're largely based on whatever the tenets are of that religion. They don't go very deep. Right. Um, And they don't talk about sex in the way that we need. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, in (laughs) fact, if, if you're in therapy individually or even in couples therapy and your therapist is not asking about sex, that's like, for me, a red flag because we all have sex. Sex is a thing. It's part of life. It should not be taboo, especially in couples therapy. I've yes. known people that have done couples therapy and said later reported, we never once talked about sex, but that was the root of all our problems. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be talked about. Yes. No, definitely. I mean, you hear about like, you know, money being a thing or infidelity being a part of it, but you you would say that for you, the most common reason why people come in is simply, I mean, I wouldn't even say they're different communication styles, anxious attachment versus avoidant attachment are literally attachment styles, not just how you communicate. It's it's how you understand the love. So, so people come to me with, you know, so often we need better communication skills. So that's kind of blanket presenting issue. But then I learned that there have been what I call infractions on the relationship, which is like cheating. Sometimes it's about money. Sometimes it's about different understandings of the sexual relationship. But at the the root core of all of it, it's basically how do I know and understand love and connection? And how does my partner? And those two are often different understandings, which create a lot of conflict and tension. Yes. Have you ever been in a session with a couple and pulled one to the side and been like, listen, 
this is not it. This is not going to work. It's not giving what it's supposed to. Yeah. So I'm a little bit more direct in that way. So there's times when something, you know, we, we can call them sometimes high conflict couples when a couple comes in your door and basically all they do is fight and they get nasty, nasty Mm. in their fighting, really disrespectful, condescending stuff. And sometimes I might say like in front of the other person, like, I don't know, Jill, you really going to stand up for this? Like, it seems like he's treating you pretty shitty. And I'll say it right in front of them just to sometimes just to provoke a reaction or just a reflection that for a lot of women, this behavior would be unacceptable. Yes. Including me as the therapist watching this. And, you know, it's I do that very consciously, provocatively to see in this instance, Jill's response and almost to give her permission to see like this is not working. And, yeah. you know, I, I would do it in, in, in the guy or sometimes same sex couples, whoever it is. Yeah. Like, no, nah, I'm not, you know, a lot of other couples therapists would be just neutral and not say that, but I am in the business of change. And mm. as long as I'm on this planet, like I want these humans to evolve, and be better versions of themselves and find more love and connection. So if sometimes that means calling somebody out, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. What's your sign? Leo. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah. very important. The Royalty, listeners have to know. <laughs> royal in charge, teacher, yes. like calling the courtship out on their shit. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's important because I feel like, you know, a lot of times, especially when you have, what did you call them? High emotional couple? What do you call it? High conflict couples. High yeah. conflict couples. You know the couples. When you go to the party yes. or you get yes. at a, a gathering, they're always in the corner screaming, yeah. hollering, yelling, fighting. Yep. And it's like everyone just either is numb to it or mm-hmm. just like tries to tune it out. And nobody ever steps in and is like, are you guys okay? Like, why are you even in a relationship? Yeah. Yeah, somebody needs to step in and be like, yo, like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. <laughs> You're, yes. Like, what is going on here? Like, why, yeah. why are you still like, why are you choosing to still engage in something that doesn't feel good? And yeah. so often the reason is, so here's something to, to think about how we were treated as little kids by our primary caregivers, how they displayed and showed us love is how we will understand love as an adult. So if I had a parent who was over gushingly idealizing of me Mm. one day, and then the next day was very quick to slap my face and throw me across the room, that is how my little kid brain understands love. Mm. So of course, so often I then as an adult, it would be natural that I would find myself with a romantic partner who replicated that. Because as far as I know, in my little kid nervous system and my adult nervous system, that's how I understand love. Yeah. Until often enough repeated experiences of that where I realized, oh my God, I don't don't think this feels good. I think I want something different. Yeah. And the person might start therapy or start to talk to support groups or whatever the avenue is towards their healing. Yeah. Change that pattern. Mm-hmm. I've I've noticed too, you know, I I come from a Jamaican family and I have a mm-hmm. lot of friends who come from different cultures and and even in the black community, like there's mm-hmm. 
oftentimes this theme of like love has to yell, love has to be verbally volatile, love has to be physically volatile sometimes for it to be love, quote unquote, like, and then equating that or trying to turn that into passion. And like, if it's not passionate, like I like passionate love, passionate love Mm -hmm. is, shouldn't be where you're yelling and screaming at each other at the top of your lungs, calling each other out of your names and throwing things and you know that but do you see that a lot too yeah and so one thing i've i've worked with people from all different cultures religions colors you name it i've i've done a lot of it and something i really try to hold in mind is considerations of what is normal for Mm -hmm. this person's cultural background and we've probably all known those couples that fight very toxically mm-hmm. and have apparently an amazing sexual relationship. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like their makeup sex is the thing that keeps them together. Mm-hmm. And that's not a problem. If that's working for that couple, mm-hmm. it's only a problem if it's dissatisfying to one of them. Mm. And same with, you know, People with, so, you know, some of those different cultural backgrounds, like a lot of Italian people will be, oh, my God, we're constantly screaming and yelling at the dinner table. And to somebody foreign to that is like, oh, my God, it seems like yeah. you hate each other. Yeah. But to them, it's like, what do you mean? That's how we express love. Yes. And that is so not a problem unless it's a problem for one of the people exposed to or engaging with that. Right. Mm. So I try not to act like there's there's objectively healthy and non-healthy. I mean, some things, yeah, there's a line of like, you know, sexual assault, physical abuse, like that. Yeah. We start to draw a line there, Mm -hmm. but I try to really consider what, yeah. What is culturally acceptable and normal for these two people in their partnership? Yeah. Yeah. But if they're in my office, typically something is not, (laughs) you know, something is not normal. Something is not feeling good. Yes. Right. Exactly. Well, we have some people, our listeners, who have written in some things that are not feeling good in their relationships. Okay, so great. Are you ready to answer some of these? Absolutely. Okay, here we go. All right. Hi, Bestie. My partner and I have been together for three years now, and the last two have been challenging. We'll go a few weeks and be fine until something triggers him. He gets very anxious when I go out drinking with my girls. I don't let it stop me from being me and doing what I want to do, but it's really getting to me. I always reassure him and I have told him to get his shit together and I was hoping with time it would mellow out, but it hasn't. I feel it's a lack of trust that he should have by now. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Love you. Love you back. (laughs) So what stands out to me first is that the relationship has been three years, but two of them have been unsatisfactory. Yes. Like that's that's more than half. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I'm kind of like, why are you still in it? Mm-hmm. first question. And then, yes, there's a trust issue going on. But as a compassionate partner, rather than like, you know, God, what the hell is wrong with you? You're so annoying. Instead, kind of lean in. And I want to understand more about this difficulty you have with me going out with friends. What is underneath this? Mm-hmm. Have you been cheated on before? Or even further than that, like, did your mom used to go out and drink and not come home? 
Mm. till 4 a.m. Like sometimes it's it's so, so deep and much younger than that. And what I hear going on is likely, as I described before, in that situation, the male is likely insecure, anxious, Mm. and the female is likely a little bit insecure, avoidant. And there's all sorts of books and things they can look up online about that to learn more. But rather than thinking this guy is the problem, they need to start to sit down and together think about what's going on with each of us as a contributor to this problem Mm. versus one person just has trust issues. There's always two people at the table. It always, you know, it's a two-way street. There's a little tango dance that we do in partnership. So it's not all this guy's fault that he's insecure. There's also things she's doing to play into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've also been there where I'm like, okay, at this point, well, for her, she's been in a, what seems like an unhappy relationship longer than she's been in an unhappy relationship. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been there where I'm like, okay, the amount of time that I've been happy and the amount of time that I've been unhappy are now the same amount of time. So right. which one am I going to see as fact and truth and what I can be expecting? Cause it's not like I right. was unhappy and then became happy. I was happy and then became unhappy. Right. Right. So at some point you have to look at that and say, okay, like something here is not right. Right. Mm-hmm. Something's not adding up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. The next one. All right. I'm not sure if it's a rough patch or time to let go. We are high school sweethearts been together since we were 16 and we're now 30. The past six years, he works constantly seven days a week. I mentioned, I feel like a roommate with benefits. We don't go out on dates, haven't traveled. I asked if he can take two Sundays out of the month to focus on us, but he won't do it. But when his friends want to do something, he will make time. I love him, but at the same time, it feels like my concerns have not been taken seriously and he continues to invalidate my feelings. It feels like we're growing apart. As I've always stated, I do not want children and now he wants them. I'm also very liberal where he has turned more conservative. We don't work as a team towards goals like a house. He claims he works so much because he has planned for us, yet I am not included. Do I try to work it out like I have been for years or learn to let things go? Thanks, Cami and guest. So I've worked with couples like this that were together since they were 16. And that can be such a beautiful thing. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it works out. And sometimes it doesn't because so much growth happens after the age of 16. I mean, we know now in research that the emotional brain is not even fully formed somewhere between age like 27, 28, 26, something like that. There's so much a person doesn't know about themselves. So when I see these relationships of people together since they're 16 and they're now 30, they're sticking to something that was familiar. You know, at 16, they latched onto each other for certain reasons that may no longer exist when you're age 30, other than that they're a familiar face who knows a lot of their history. And there's a lot of comfort in that. But so often they stop making any efforts to actually be in romance. Mm. So when people say to me, well, okay, so in the beginning of relationship, of course, there's new relationship energy. You, I want to figure out your smell, your taste, every curve of your body. It's so exciting. Especially it's, when you're 16. You're oh my God. Guy. I was it's, fucking like crazy at 16. It, right. It's, it's mysterious. <laughs> it's so intriguing. And then 
You know, as far as all the rom-coms and Disney movies tell us, when you're with the right person, that just goes on and on and on. It just lasts forever when you're with the right person. It's sex rom every night. Mm-hmm. But it's not. We get comfortable with each other. And we start having, you know, TV night sweatpants farting on the couch together. <laughs> and we yes. feel like family. I'm so comfortable with you. You feel like family. But here's the thing. Something in our primal brain knows, but I don't have sex with family. Mm-hmm. That's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So all that intrigue and mystery has weared off. And again, what I hear in that relationship is likely the male is a little bit insecure, avoidant. You know, he's defined by his career. He thinks he's providing and men get so many toxic messages about that. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to connect and make efforts. So she's a little insecure, anxious, and they're just missing each other. There's no connection. But like in some relationships, hey, that's not a problem. Living like roommates, they might even have sex once to pop out a kid. Yeah. And everybody's known them since they were 16. The community, it's all comfortable. It's all set up. They live like roommates. That's not a problem unless you want something different. And then it's a problem. Mm. So. Yeah, if if she cannot pursue or encourage this guy to explore couples therapy, then she might have to start thinking of an exit strategy. Yeah. 30 is not old at all. No, it's not. It's not. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, some people have only had that one sexual partner since they were 16. And that mm-hmm. can be extremely scary. Or what are the religious implications of Boy, we break up and then what? I'm going to have sex with a second person and then I'm a sinner or whatever they equate that to mean. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of layers there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, on top of all of that, now she is saying what she's been saying that she doesn't want children. But he's now saying that he wants children, which I'm sure when they were 16, I mean, who knows? There are a lot of people. I have friends who, you know, their whole lives. They've said, oh, I don't want kids. I, I, I'd never see myself being a mom and then mm-hmm. go on and have kids. And, you right. know, they meet a partner and they decide that they want to have kids or they might want kids, but then they meet a partner who doesn't. How often yep. in your work have you seen where children and wanting yeah. or not wanting create a division yep. of the relationship or end mm-hmm. up working out? I've seen beautiful, pretty healthy relationships divorce because of suddenly there was a difference about wanting kids and one did not want kids. So I have seen it wreck marriages. And often that's a couple that was together since they were pretty young. I would like to believe that as adults, if you are meeting each other and you're 30 and 34 or whatever, that you have that conversation pretty soon. Mm -hmm. I'm not in complete agreement that Oh, there's just certain things you don't talk about for several dates. No. I'm like, why are we wasting time? No. Why? What? A We're waste talking of about time. this on day one. Do you yeah. want to get married and do you want to have kids? Yeah, I need I, to know. Let's, let's get on the same page earlier than later. Yeah. Because these, these fall in love holes that start to emit from us are very convincing. So it's good to use a combination of mind and heart early in dating. And yeah, people's minds change. And some women would absolutely declare that there's truth to a biological clock that starts to tick at a certain age. 
For some women, that is really real. Mm -hmm. For other women, they don't subscribe to that at all. And yeah, sometimes I come across a man that is his only desire in life was to become a dad. And very often what I see as normal in a relationship is one person kind of wants to be a parent a little bit more than the other person, mm-hmm. but the other person is like at least 60% willing. And so they'll go along with it. And that can be totally fine and work out fine. But if somebody is like 100% wants kids and the other person is like 30%, mm-hmm. that's probably not going to go so well. But what also I see, I'm trained somatically as a therapist. So that means I pay a huge amount of attention to our physical bodies, not just body language, but how emotions appear, gestures, postures, everything mind body. So it really does seem like if a woman is not fully convinced that she wants to be a mother, it seems like the body struggles to get pregnant. Mm. Even in, I I see if a woman has a very stressful career, very stressful life, and in in metaphorically, she's always like running from the tiger, her body will not get pregnant. Mm. The nervous system needs to be at a certain amount of homeostasis, a certain amount of ease, a certain amount of calm in order to trust that it is safe to get pregnant. So, you know, I've known some couples that were going to try to get pregnant while they were living a poly lifestyle. Mm. That might work for some couples. For like on a primitive primal level in a woman, how is she, most women would not be able to get pregnant if she also knew her mate might be with some other women mm-hmm. any given night. So there's some primal things that show up with that. But absolutely, people that are in different places with kids, that can be a deal breaker and maybe it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, I couldn't be with somebody who doesn't want children. Like that is, that's since childhood, I've known that I wanted to have kids. Mm -hmm. How many? I don't know. Really, I say three, but who knows? As many as I can pop out, probably be nice. But if I were to meet a man, even if I thought he had everything that I wanted on paper, you can't possibly because you don't want the fundamental thing that I want. But I think, you know, when you're young, you, I mean, I guess at 16, like what 16 year old boy is like, I don't know a lot of 16 year old boys that are like, yeah, fatherhood can't wait. (laughs) Like, you know, the way that a lot of 16 year old girls are, if you're talking binary, like I, I, I feel like that's more common. Right. But I think also even in grown ass relationships, people think that they can change their partner's mind about things that are very true to them. And how often would you say that you see that happen? All day long. (laughs) People come in thinking, well, for a lot of couples come to me, okay, they're presenting issue, communicating issues, but there's also often an ulterior motive. In the worst case scenario, two people come and the one's ulterior motive is, I'm really here because I want you to side with me and change my partner. Mm-hmm. Right. And I try to nip that in the bud pretty, pretty quick. Like, yeah. In order for couples therapy to work, well, for one, I typically pose this question If your relationship were looking and feeling how you really wanted it to look and feel, what would that look and feel like? Like, what's mm-hmm. 2.0 version of your relationship? And then, secondly, 
what would you individually be doing and changing about yourself to help make that possible? So it's not like, what's your ideal relationship and how are you going to change the other person to make that possible? So what's your ideal relationship and what are you going to do different to make that a reality? Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. What's in your control to do? What's within your control to do? Yeah. No, we can't change our partners. We can influence them, mm-hmm. which might result in behavioral changes. But I think there are certain aspects about a person's personality, about their character, that might not ever change. And if a person is 100% on the first date, nah, I don't want kids. I don't picture myself as a parent. You should pick yourself up and turn the other direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want, if you really want to be a parent, why waste your time? If you know, unless you're just interested in the fling and can assure yourself you're not going to get attached, but right or pregnant because the person doesn't want Ex- exactly, <laughs> exactly, and that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, here goes another one. All right, okay. we argue quite a bit about control of the household. Although I'd like to be in my feminine and leave it up to the quote unquote man of the house. After marrying my husband, it dawned on me that he hasn't grown into the masculine energy I need at all. He constantly requires quote unquote man of the house vibes, but doesn't really do anything worth that title. I own two small businesses. I'm active in not only my two kids lives as a whole, but also their extracurricular activities while maintaining the home, laundry, dinner, lunch making, bath schedules, etc. And even after all of this, my husband still thinks that I should run things by him or like ask for his permission on things. Long story short, I won't be married much longer. Well, shit. Uh, sounds like she's probably already made up her mind. For it's, one. it's already done. But, but something I like to look at and ask people, kind of what do I reference before? Sometimes I ask people, like I give people homework sometimes, right? And I'll ask them, I want you to spend the next week thinking about what was role modeled to you about relationship in your own primary caregivers relationships, what was shown to you. Mm -hmm. And then also tell me what about that? Do you think you are honestly reenacting in this relationship? And I'm dumbfounded by how many people don't realize that they have not connected their dots of, I mean, we all replicate certain things from childhood that were role modeled to us. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, if we were to talk to this follower of yours, they, they might eventually realize, oh my God, like I'm totally recreating my parents' marriage. Like my mom was like the driven person. She did it all. There was nothing she couldn't handle. And my dad just kind of sat back and had veto power, mm-hmm. but he was kind of lazy or whatever it is. There's, there's great stuff about, masculine and feminine energy and masculine and feminine in each of us, no matter what our, our gender is. Yeah. It can be kind of binary. David Dita is a great psychologist and author that talks about masculine and feminine energy in relationships. But, you know, for some couples, even though they might be like very progressive or forward thinking on paper and all about equality, oftentimes there's still kind of gender specific things that play out at home. Mm. Which again, doesn't have to be a problem unless it's a problem for one of those people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I myself struggled with this in past relationships where I'm like, I can't even be in my feminine right now. I can't even let you 
do what you want to do, what's in your nature to do for me, because I don't trust you. That's yeah. really what it is. It's like, I don't yeah. trust you to do these things or to do them right or to do them the way that I would do them. So I'm just going to do it because if I let you handle it, mm-hmm. it's never going to get handled. Right. I.e. Uh, me reaching out to couples therapists because right. I didn't do it. It wasn't going to yeah. happen. Yeah. And, and it's it, exhausting. It is. And it's interesting for you and for that person writing their question, you know, for women that are a little bit more driven and I guess I'll say alpha or, you know, have a strong mission in life, very self-reliant, used to being in charge. Sometimes their right partner is somebody who's even more in charge, masculine, or at least matches them in that energy. But other times, interestingly enough, they actually wouldn't do well in a relationship where the other partner has just as much kind of young energy, masculine energy, directness, alphaness, because secretly or not so secretly, they kind of need to be the most powerful one in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So all their friends might say, oh, you just need to be with somebody who's like more dominant, more strong, but that actually might not work for them. Maybe they kind of... Again, in order to understand love, maybe they need to be more superior in their relationship. Mm, That's real. I mean, Mm -hmm. now I'm in a new relationship, healthiest relationship of my life. Right. And he is alpha, like does it all. Mm -hmm. He's the first. And it sounds, it sounds, I know how it sounds because, you know, everyone's like, fuck the patriarchy, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. There are some times when I need the patriarchy to take to take the lead. Yeah. I have taken the lead for so long in sure. so many past relationships. Mm-hmm. But he's the first man that I have listened to, other than my trainer. He's wow. the first man that will tell me something mm-hmm. or like be like, "Come over here," and I'm going. Mm-hmm. I'm going. Nice. I'm going nice. immediately. I'm not like, "Don't tell me what to do," or like, "I'll come when I'm ready," or you know. And it sounds crazy and like you know obviously there's 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 layers and there's there's levels to that like you know when somebody's trying to tell you what to do versus someone who just has that kind of energy that allows for you if you want to chill the fuck out a little bit I don't call it like a submissive behavior because that's not who I am as a person but somebody that I actually listen to it's fucking nice. <laughs> well, so I would guess there's, there is levels and layers going on there. I would guess that, well, for one, you probably have a certain amount of respect for him mm-hmm. and who he is in his world and how he navigates the world. And also I would guess on a more bodily level, your nervous system feels safe. Yes. With him. Yeah. There's something that he offers you that allows you to feel physically, mentally, psychologically, emotionally safe. Mm -hmm. So you're more willing to follow his direction. Yes. It it goes Mm -hmm. back to, I mean, I guess trust would be a a blanket statement of that, but it's like, I can trust my soul in your hands and I can trust responsibilities that I normally would take on for you to take on. And, you know, for the person who wrote in, it sounds like that's what she's looking for. Right. And it is out there. It's definitely out there. But I think you're right. Mm-hmm. You have to be 
cognizant of, okay, am I doing all these things because I secretly mm-hmm. like being able to say that I did all these things? Right. Or am I actually looking for someone who will mm-hmm. come in and like, you know, acts of service, that's my love language. So mm-hmm. like <laughs> mm-hmm. take something off the plate and yeah. do something, you know, because yeah. mm-hmm. I, I get it. There's nothing, there's nothing fucking worse than a man who you've done everything all day you slaved in the kitchen. You took care of the kids. You went and worked five jobs and you come back and he's asking what's for dinner and he hasn't done right. shit all day. Right. <laughs> yeah. And women, women or whomever in the partnership are still doing that, you know, all yeah. day long. Yeah. Chaos. Chaos. Mm-hmm. Listen, free yourselves. Okay. Trust me. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. free yourselves. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for your advice and your wisdom. Can you tell everyone where they can find you? Sure. Probably the best place is just good old fashioned online at my website, Vanessa B, the letter B, Tate.com. And are you taking clients right now for couples? I am. Yeah. I love working with couples. I also work with individuals. And just as much as I help couples stay together, I also help them consciously, amicably break up. Mm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, unfortunately, but fortunately, I didn't need your help to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, kn- you knew soon enough. Yeah. I knew soon and enough. You saved some money. Yes, so. <laughs> yes. Amen. Amen. And that was, that was good. That was definitely good. But, you know, I'm still open to the idea for my new relationship, even though everything's great. Yeah. But I do think that there is something to premarital, pre-engagement, whatever. It's, it's preventative medicine. If you're thinking of taking a next step towards a deeper level of commitment, whatever that means for you guys, think of it as preventative medicine. Yeah. It's like Botox, guys. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Thank you so you're much. You're so welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch a new episode of Relationship every single Friday. Make sure you hit that follow button so you don't miss any of the action. And I want to hear from you. So please, if you love the show, leave us a review. But by review, you know I only need five stars only. And let us know what you think. Make sure you follow us on socials at Relationship on Instagram and at Relationship Pod on Twitter. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye, bestie. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.